new ideas, thought-leading opinions and the latest ways of working. This is the School Leadership Podcast. Hello, hope you're well. Welcome to the School Leadership Podcast brought to you by NAHT and NAHT Edge. This month we have an Ofsted special for you. Earlier this term we saw the launch of an entirely new inspection framework and NAHT members have already begun to experience these new style inspections. We've already seen teachers and school leaders taking to social media to share their early experiences and phrases like deep dive and cultural capital have already begun to enter the lexicon of schools and school leaders. To get a really good sense about what NAHT members can expect from the framework, our Director of Policy, James Bowen, met with Ofsted's Deputy Director for Schools, Matthew Purvis. And Matthew started by talking about his hopes and his ambitions for this brand new framework. Well, I guess fundamentally, Ofsted hopes to be a force for improvement in the way we go about our work. Uh, We're not an improvement agency, but we do shine a light on the quality of education that's being offered to children and young people up and down the country. And by doing that really crisply and clearly, we hope we provide the information um, for school leaders, for parents, for others to take the action that they need to, to improve what's going on. So absolutely to be a force for improvement. And at the heart of that with this framework, it's putting the conversation back on what education's really about, making it about the curriculum, what are children learning in this school? And I think it's really exciting that that's the heart of the education conversation and the heart of the, the Ofsted conversation on inspection. And you mentioned their curriculum, which clearly yes. is right at the heart of this. And I think one of those phrases that um, has been linked very closely with the curriculum in this, are those three words, intent, implementation and impact. Yes. And we've seen those mentioned a lot. I wonder if you could just unpick a little bit what Ofsted mean by each of those words. Of course. Okay. So I think... It's really helpful to have them in mind, but unhelpful to think they're the be all and end all. Um, So the reason you have intent, implementation and impact is that the curriculum isn't a thing that's done once. It's not conceived in the head study, put on a shelf and that's the curriculum. Actually, you you, um, consider and plan a curriculum, but then it's translated into reality by teaching in the classroom. And then actually there's a step beyond that, which is what are children taking from that? What knowledge are they building up? What skills are they developing? And where do they actually have misconceptions? And they're building a kind of faulty Jenga tower of knowledge that you pull a brick out from and it collapses. So intent, implementation and impact is a really helpful frame to think, how is our curriculum flowing through from what we plan to teach through to how it takes place in the classroom and through to how children receive it? But if you think that that's all there is, it's probably unhelpful because actually it's a cycle. You learn from what children are taking away from that to inform what you do with the curriculum again. Um, And so it's meant as a framework for for deeper thinking and connection between those different stages. It's not meant as a framework for separating those out into different conversations in different parts of the school. Uh, And that makes perfect sense. In terms of that intent part... Um, which, again, people are talking about a lot at the moment. Yes. I'm interested to know, how, how might inspectors go about judging intent? You might say judging is not quite the right, right the word, yeah, but no, how no, would they look at intent? Yeah, so, so inspectors would look at intent absolutely on inspection. It's really important to say they're not judging intent, judging implementation, and judge, judging impact. That's part of what I was saying about it all being connected. I mean, the key thing is... Uh, 
the word intent suggests it's just about what's in your mind, and that's not the, not the situation. And if you read the, the four bullets and the good criteria in, in the handbook, um, which I'm sure everyone, everyone does, then um, first of all, it's about your ambition. It's about your ambition for all your pupils, and that includes your ambition for your pupils with special educational needs and or disabilities. But then it's about taking that ambition and translating that into what is the content that I want my children to learn in this school. When they finish at the end of their education in year six or year 11 or year 13 or whatever it is, what do I want them to know and be able to do? So the curriculum and intent isn't vague, it isn't aspiration, it's really specific and crunchy. And then knowing what that is, do I know what order I want people to teach that in? Because the order in which we learn things really matters because it helps us build up that web of knowledge. And the cognitive psychology tells us that's a really important and part of teaching and learning. So intent, in many ways, is everything up to the moment that the lesson starts. It's not just ambition, it's not vague, it's really specific about what is it I want my children to learn and how am I going to make that happen. So will inspectors want to be wanting to look at sort of uh, medium-term plans, curriculum plans, will that form part of that conversation around intent, do you think? So here's a danger of an Ofsted myth, right? Um, so what, what I absolutely wouldn't want to do is say inspectors will want to see this kind of document or that kind of document. And the reason I'm being so careful about that is it's really easy for me to say something and for schools to hear this and think, right, I must prepare this, that or the other. We want to look at whatever it is that a school uses to plan its curriculum. And that takes many forms. Um, and it may be that a school has started from scratch and planned its own curriculum great, it maybe it's adopted it from somewhere else, or it's adopted it in some subjects um, and, and planned it in others. That's fine. We don't expect every school to do everything from scratch. Adopt as you need, and that's there in, in the handbook. Um, so we want to look at what it is you use school, um, but then very quickly inspectors will want to move on to, all right, well, let's go and see that in practice. So, so the emphasis of the inspection is, right, we understand this is what you believe is happening, now let's go and see it together and see whether that's the reality, the lived reality in children's lives. And that's the point of having an inspectorate, to go and see things educationalist to educationalist firsthand. Um, if you don't do that, you're re reduced to risk assessment and, and a data-focused view of the world. Uh, and following on from the consultation um, you had, there's now in the framework this uh, piece about uh, an understanding that schools will be in different places yes. when it comes to curriculum yeah. development. I wonder if you could just explain what that might mean in practice, because I think it's important probably to point out there's a few caveats around that in terms yeah. of certain subjects and uh, yes. affecting good rather than outstanding. Could you just sort of clarify what, yeah. what that part's about? Okay. Um, so, so, so again, thank you for asking the question, because again, I guess myth number two in this conversation, that's starting to get out there, isn't it? So we've said really clearly for all the intent uh, criteria in the handbook that there is a transitional period. So Ofsted's been working really hard for two years to get all inspectors onto the same page and into the same position in our understanding about the curriculum. We recognise that it takes time. And everything I've just said about it not being something that's one and done, but actually develops and you learn from it says this takes time. So for the first year of the new framework, we've said, for those intent bullets, um, if actually um, you're in the process of bringing that about, we'll recognise that and look on that favourably. Now here's the myth and here's the risk. I think some have heard that as brilliant, well I can focus on everything else, I can leave the curriculum to later and Ofsted won't really ask me about it. No, that's not true. 
I've also heard, well, I've got this ambitious view for what I want my children to learn so you can use the transition for me. Well, no, just a minute ago, I've said intent is about your ambition and how that translates into what you want your children to learn and how you're going to get there. It might just be that you're in the process of bringing that about. You haven't brought it about yet. So actually, we're looking at schools that are taking crunchy action to get there. But just it takes time. We recognise that. So we use the transition. Um, and in the early weeks of inspection, I've already seen that transition used more than a dozen times um, and the schools have come out with the, the good judgment at the end of that. So it's a reality, it's helpful, but it's not a cover for vagueness or for dodging the curriculum question. It's for giving schools time to really get the right curriculum in place. And listen, at the end of a year, we'll review this really carefully. And if we think, actually, you know what, the sector needs a bit more time then we can extend that transition if we think, well, the evidence is telling us that actually that moment has passed, then we'll take the transition out and we'll do that really carefully as we go. And just to clarify, again, with the kind of myth-busting in mind, if I've understood this correctly, that exemption, for want of a better word, or it it doesn't apply to reading, writing and maths in primary. Is that correct? That's absolutely right, James, and thank you for for bringing that out. Yes, so so, so there is that one exemption, which is reading, writing and maths in primary for two very basic reasons, really basic foundations of what you need to get out of your time in primary. And secondary, secondly, an area that the sector has been thinking about really hard and working out really well over a long period of time. So yes, those are the exceptions. And if a school was trying to get to out, the outstanding, again, is that right? You, you're expecting that it would be there, if you like, the, the intent side of things would be there if you were heading to that top outstanding group. Yeah, is that well, fair? Well, well, yeah, well, I mean, listen, we you know, at the moment, we're exempted by law from inspecting outstanding schools. So if something, if we're going to say something's outstanding, it really better be exceptional and, and, and we better be confident in that. So, so yeah, that transition doesn't apply for outstanding. You know, our good judgment is a best fit judgment. Inspectors look at all the criteria and say, is this what best describes the school? Or, or and, and where something might not quite be in place, they use the professional judgment. Because outstanding is such a label and such a beacon and a marker, actually we want all those criteria to be in place. And so the, the transition doesn't apply for outstanding. And I suppose that takes us on nicely to the, the new quality of education judgment. Yes. Which you might want to sort of say a bit more about the, yeah, yeah, the course, rationale yeah. behind that. I suppose what I'm particularly interested in is how inspectors will sort of balance and weigh up. Because as you said, there's, there's quite a few aspects to it in terms of the curriculum, if you like, the intent side, yes. the teaching and learning and the assessment, and then the pupil outcomes. Yeah. Um, is there a methodology or a thought process behind how inspectors will come to a judgment on that one? You know, take an extreme example where they see a, apparently a wonderful shining curriculum, but the yes. outcomes are, aren't where they should be, and yes. how they're going to weigh that up. Could you just talk about how inspectors will do that? Of course. Okay. So, so I think one of the first things to say is standards matter. So we both have children at school and we really care about um, the standards they achieve and the qualifications they achieve because they are ultimately going to be the passport for them to life. So um, so while this framework puts that conversation in, a co- in the context of a single educational conversation, standards still matter and are still there. Now, does that mean that inspectors have a kind of three-pronged scales where they're trying to, trying to weigh intent, implementation and impact? No, um, because you know we might get on to describing the, and discussing the new methodology later, but that's all built around, let's establish our understanding of where children are and how they're doing, and then let's see how that's flowing in practice. So we'll be looking at the way that the curriculum flows into the teaching, flows into what pupils achieve and, and, and can do and know. 
and those things are connected. So it's not it's not saying we've got three separate things that we're weighing against each other. It's showing the flow through of those things and understanding how they join together and reaching that judgment. So would it, it's sort of fair to say it's more of a holistic approach rather than a component part. Yes. So that you're not looking at three separate parts, yes. weighing them up and seeing where you get to. It's a kind of yes. an overview. Is that a fair? That's a much better way of saying what I just said. <laughs> Um, one of the things I want to ask you about is is knowledge. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think it's fair to say that the new framework has a greater focus on knowledge than before? Um, and if it does, does that somehow mean that skills are, are less important than before? It's a great question, and the answer is yes and no. Um, so yes, there is a greater focus on knowledge uh, in in the framework and in all of our research and our communications and. You know, if you ask people now what's one thing they know about Ofsted, it's probably that you know that the curriculum matters to us and that knowledge is a component of that. And I think that's hugely important because I think collectively as a nation and an educational system, we've lost a bit of the focus on knowledge that you need at the heart of education. I think we've been really good at skills, actually. We've been really good at focusing on that and making that part of the debate. So we talk a lot about knowledge to bring that back into the debate. Does that mean that skills aren't important? No, skills are really important. But... I've spent a lot of time being asked by people to pick a side. Am I for knowledge or am I for skills? And the more you think about that question, the more ridiculous it becomes. Knowledge and skills are intimately connected. So um, a skillful performance draws on things that you know. Um, so if you learn to play the piano, that is a skillful performance using muscle memory and other things, but it also draws on you knowing what the notes are, what an arpeggio is, how to read music, all those things. So knowledge and skills are connected. If you read the handbook, they're there together in lockstep throughout the handbook. So yes, we're talking about knowledge more, and so we should, but that's not a downgrading of skills. It's recognising they're connected and they're together. And I suppose an opportunity to do another bit of myth-busting here. Um, in that case, I'm assuming it's fair to say that you know inspectors aren't going to be going around quizzing children on you know 10, 10 questions here to test their knowledge, or they're not going to be expecting yes. to see, let's take another extreme example, kind of, a rote learning approaching classrooms you know yeah. teachers drilling yeah. children yeah. knowledge yeah. is it worth just tackling some of those myths yeah. a little bit yeah so, so, so absolutely so it's not a pop quiz pub quiz kind of approach to 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 to, to the curriculum or to knowledge um so so again if you look at the you know the cognitive psychology and, and the research there that tells you that the absolute bottom line is we learn things by connecting them to what we know already so that's why I've, I've emphasised a couple of times already the importance of the order in which we learn things. So we add bits of knowledge to the, to the knowledge that we have already in our, in our mental map or our schema. So the question for inspectors is not, can you name 10 rivers in Africa, child? It is um, having been through with a subject leader, well, what's going on in this, in this um, subject? And what are the key things that children need to learn to be successfully learning the curriculum and progressing through it? having a conversation with the children and young people about what they are learning in that subject and trying to draw out, well, those key things that are really important are those things that, that you have access to, that you, you're recalling, uh, and fitting that in there along with all sorts of other evidence. So yes, we will speak to children about what they're learning uh, and we might do it with their, with their books there or, or with their work there. And yes, that will be relevant to the curriculum, but it's about seeing that connection and that join up in the context of the key things that they need to learn it's not about trying to advance the case for rote learning. You know, even though memory is important and memorization is really important, we're not, we're not advocating a particular style in that way. 
I suppose we could talk about recall and memorization as yeah. a whole podcast in itself. Again, I suppose just for people's minds at rest. I'm, I'm sure you you would confirm this, but uh, yeah, inspectors aren't. Yeah, we will be mindful of the fact that young children, particularly young children, forget. Yes. <laughs> and just oh, because yes, something was taught yes. last yes. year that if you yes. ask a child, you know, I've taught myself, and you know, you know, you know that you you teach children something six weeks ago or certainly a year ago, and quite often they forget that. And I guess inspectors will be mindful of that issue around just because a child can't necessarily recall something. Oh, yeah. That being said, obviously teachers have a role to play in terms of making sure that the recall yeah. does stay there. There's yeah. that balance, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, C- completely. So, so, I mean, two things about that. First of all, this is the great thing about the fact that all of our inspectors are previously or currently senior leaders in school. So they know what it's like to sit down and have a conversation with a group of year nine boys on, on a wet Tuesday and, and try and get them to talk about what they're learning. You know, they, they know intimately the ins and outs of that. Um, not not picking on you nine boys, but um, th- th- you know they know that. So absolutely, that is um, a key part of inspectors' understanding. We don't ins- expect pupils to be sat there saying, "I know this, this, this." But I would just maybe um, just tug at that thread of what if they can't remember some of the key things they've learned. So we know we know what does it mean to make progress. It means to learn the curriculum, and it doesn't mean to recall everything that happened in every lesson. But in every lesson, there will be a key thing that you want a child or young person to take away from that. And cumulatively, over time, those key things will build it. There'll be the components of, of the composite that the child needs to know at the, the end of their, their course of study. So inspectors will be interested in those key things, not can, can children recall them perfectly on the day, but are they the sorts of things that are coming out from what pupils recall from what's in their work? Or actually, is it just a complete gap there because that hasn't been thought enough uh, about clearly uh, in the teaching and in in the way the curriculum is structured. And I guess that links back into the intent stuff doesn't in terms of are you clear as a school about what are the key concepts and key ideas you want children to learn and do they then learn those yeah not have they memorized everything that's ever been taught but in terms of being clear about those key concepts I guess is important. Exactly and this is not insider baseball there isn't some secret way of doing it it's being really clear simple but specific about what it is you want children and young people to learn and building a curriculum that will help them do that. I want to pick up on another perhaps slightly controversial term that again has been out there the last six weeks or so you can probably guess what I'm going to yeah, ask here. Okay, okay. Cultural capital. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've certainly learned a lot more about it in the last six <laughs> weeks having read various articles and what oh, have you on it. Yes. Um, again it's one of those phrases that's now out there and it's yeah. been discussed on, on Twitter and, and everywhere else. Um, so it'd be good to know you know what do Ofsted mean when we talk about cultural capital and I guess more importantly for the people who are listening how would inspectors go about inspecting cultural capital? Okay, so so this has provoked a lot of interest on Twitter uh, in particular, and I want to go on the record of saying I am not a Bourdieu scholar and probably will never be. Um, and I think there are important ideas in his work in terms of cultural capital and habitus, in terms of the things that young people can acquire that enable them to make their way in the world and be socially mobile. Now, I think if you put six sociologists in a room to debate that, there might be nine or ten uh, interpretations of ultimately where Bourdieu was going and he changed his view over, over, over his work and over his lifetime. Ofsted is not trying to wade into that space. Our simple observation is this. There is an element of what we acquire as children that is our education. And if that education is really good, that will play a part in enabling us to be socially mobile and smash through barriers. 
And so when we mention cultural capital in the handbook, we are talking about the knowledge and skills and experiences that enable children to be mobile in that way, that give them the access to the best that's been thought and written, that give them the access to the experiences of life that enable them to make their way um, in the life of the nation and be whoever they want to be. So we are not trying to define cultural capital. In inspectors will not be inspecting for cultural capital. But our whole conception of focusing on what are children learning and why is about thinking about how is this school helping children fill in some of the gaps that they have when they come into school and learn the most that they can and be able to do the most that they can so they have the best chance in life of being um, socially mobile and being who they want to be in the world. So from what you're saying, am I right to say this is not something additional to, it is not an extra um, okay, right, we need to do this stuff to point out where the cultural capital lies and inspectors no. are going to go and do a 40-minute cultural no, capital learning walk. Yeah, yes. It's yes. much more embedded in the curriculum, yes. the day-to-day. -day. Yes. It's not about, actually, we introduced five new composers last term and we went to the museum this term as both. Is that a fair, am I analysing it in a, in a I, fair way? Or? I think you are. I think it's just about thinking about what is the learning that I'm offering to these children, what is the knowledge and skills I'm giving to them and how is that going to help them then accelerate on through life. Um, and, and, and I do think it's a helpful concept. Um, of course, um, some of the debate online has been really helpful to feed that and some of it may be more, um, more scratchy, but I absolutely stand by this idea that all of us are in education to help think about what will help children succeed in the world ahead. And that, that's what we mean. And is it partly about, probably this is the best way to explain it, is it partly about thinking, you know, Want to phrase children who come from your middle class families who tend to get a rich cultural experience that families will take them to museums and they'll read them books and etc etc thinking about those children who may not get those cultural experiences and how schools are thinking about that is there is there anything in that kind of way yeah so, 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 I, so I wouldn't make it about class I absolutely wouldn't do I think it's about but, but, but in the second part of what you said, they're thinking about where the gaps are. Wherever children have come from, what are the kinds of gaps that children come into my school with? And in different areas, those might, those might be different. But thinking about how do I fill those, those gaps and offer a really rich curriculum. And by the way, if we want to think what's a rich curriculum that helps children with a cultural capital, we've got the national curriculum there. And that's obviously compulsory for maintained schools, but academies have to offer something of equal or greater breadth and ambition. So there is a blueprint there. It's, it, it's, again, it's not mysterious. So we've, we've tackled one of the, the tricky concepts in cultural capital. Well, what have you got uh, next? And the next one, <laughs> deep dives, oh, hooray. Okay. <laughs> um, which we've probably seen even more of on Twitter uh, and yes. elsewhere than yes. we have cultural capital, yes. actually. And I suppose, understandably, because yeah. I think for people it feels like a new thing. It's a new perhaps approach to inspection. Whenever that happens, people want to respond and, and yeah. be well prepared and understand it. So I think what would be useful is for us to understand What's the rationale behind the deep dives? Yes. Why are they happening? Yes. And again, that, that really important thing for people on the ground is what can they expect? What will a deep dive be like in an inspection yeah. for a school? Okay, that's a really big question. Okay, so, so all of this flows from our desire for the evidence we gather in inspection to be connected. Um, and a deep dive is a way of connecting all the different kinds of evidence we gather. So let, let, me, let me walk you through it. Um, and um, if, 
if the explanation I give you is poor and faltering, we've actually published a document called Inspecting the Curriculum. That's on our website. I don't know if we can get a link up or whatever, yes, but that, 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 that sets all of that, that out. So we, so we start with a top-level view of what's going on in the school. You know, leaders and managers tell us uh, how children and young people are doing here, about the progress they're making, about what they're learning. And then um, we'll agree with leaders and managers, and this is actually in the call prior to inspection, which areas of the curriculum we're going to dive into deeply. Um, and on a, on a section five inspection, that'll be four to six different areas. And on a section eight inspection, which is just confirming whether the, the, the school remains good or not, that'd be about three to five areas. But we'd agree a number of areas across the curriculum where we'll dive deeply with me so far. Yep, that yep. makes sense. Okay. So far with you. Okay. So, in fact, you've answered one of my questions, which was going to be how many would people expect? So sure, that's great. Okay. And, 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 and again, just to say that's all there in inspecting the curriculum. So, um, again, we're, we're being as transparent as we can be about it. So having chosen with the leaders of the school the areas that we're going to look at, the first thing to do is to speak to the curriculum leader. Um, now, that will look and feel a bit different in a smallish primary from how it will look and feel in a large secondary, but there's still somebody whose job it is to lead the curriculum in that area, and inspectors are really sensitive about the way to, to have that conversation. And the conversation, you know, as we've covered before, is, okay, well... What is it that children are learning in this subject? What do you expect them uh, to be learning? And what do you expect us to see when we go out and see it? And we establish that kind of joint view. And then we do three or four other activities jointly with the curriculum leader or the senior leader, whoever wants to come. Um, we go and we, we look at, we visit some lessons um, and we see what's taking place. And when we visit those lessons, we're not trying to judge the individual lessons. We're trying to link back what we're seeing to what we thought we were going to see and where that lesson fits in with the sequence that's being taught over time. Because actually we might see something that doesn't look challenging in and of itself, but it's actually reinforcing something that's been learned before. Or we might see a lesson where pupils are learning something new, but how does that fit into what we think we're going to go and see? So we don't judge the individual lesson, but we visit those lessons. Then we'll want to look at some people's work. And actually we want to select some of some of the work from some of the pupils in the lessons that we've seen. So we can begin to see, so we've seen what's happening to those pupils today. Let's look at what's happening over time in their work. Then we'll want to meet pupils and speak to them. And again, some of those pupils will be the ones where we've seen the classes and seen the work. And that enables quite a rich conversation about what will, you know, tell us you, you're doing Spanish this year. What, what, what are you learning in the subject and what, what, what's hard, etc. And then having done all that, We'll want to get together with the teachers whose lessons we've seen again not to judge their lessons and not to not to critique them on that but to sit back and say okay so you're teaching in this subject area you're teaching this part of the curriculum so what what are the challenges what's going on and and, and then you have those four different bits of evidence that are connected and then you link that back to the conversation with the curriculum leader to say all right well this is what we thought we'd see this is what we've seen together what do we make of that together so that's a deep dive. You connect all of those activities together. But the crucial thing is you don't then say, right, I therefore have a judgment about history in this school or I have a judgment about art in this school. You're doing three, four, five, six of them. You draw those different deep dives together. And then you think, all right, well, what is this telling me about what's systemic in this school? Not what's typical. I saw the door open in three classes when I was there and that's typical. But what are the individual things that I'm seeing connected together, telling me about what's going on overall in the school? And then, pro and that'll take you to the end of day one of the inspection, probably. 
and inspectors will sit and leaders will be there teasing out what they think might be systemic and saying, well, we've got these hypotheses about what's going on. Let's use day two to test out whether that's really what's going on. And that's when we might go to subjects or areas that we haven't been to before, see year groups we haven't seen yet, all those sorts of questions. And what we're finding is that overnight to reflect is really helpful because often the next morning the head's saying to us, look, if you'd just seen this, you'd have, you'd, you'd have a different light on things. And we accommodate that in the inspection methodology. So that was a lot, but the deep dive is a part of a process where we get the top level view, we dive deeply and we bring it all together and then we can confirm or call into question what we've seen. And it's about connection. It's about connecting all the different things that we see around pupils and connecting it to what our curriculum leaders think is going on. And that's a really good way of getting a sense of, is the education strong in this school and do leaders understand where it is? Um, and, and certainly the feedback we're getting from the first few weeks of inspection is kind of um, of two types. And there was an article in the TES about this. It said brutal and better. Um, and, um, you know, I wish it didn't say brutal. And I think there's a lot we can do there. But, but I think people are experiencing something is different. This is a different kind of inspection. So there's an adjustment uh, period. But the better thing is so much coming through from the feedback we get from inspection, from, from people we've inspected on social media, etc., saying, actually, you really got under the skin with us of what's going on in these areas. And that goes back to trying to look at what children are learning rather than skirting around the edges and just making out data or other things, which is other, what other forms of accountability can do. And I wonder, you, that, that brutal word, I wonder if that's about, do you think it's about the intensity of, particularly that first day, I guess, in a primary school, two or three deep dives with subject leaders will feel quite yeah. an intense experience. I wonder, do you think that might be where that... Yeah, I mean, I, so if I'm honest, I think it's the shock of the new. Um, so we've done absolutely everything in our power to explain what's coming. Um, we have spoken to literally thousands of teachers and leaders, but our, our system's vast. There are, what, 21,500 schools, so there will be some people who experience this as new. And I don't for a moment um, kind of underestimate that. That is a new experience. But I think a lot of that reaction is this is very different and it wasn't what I was expecting. And I really hope that kind of people who are listening to the podcast and other things will, will have a sense of what deep dives are about. And actually, when they experience it, we'll experience it as most people are experiencing it, which is it's a chance to talk about what's really going on in, in, in the life of the school. And that's a really healthy thing to do. So a few specific questions that have come to mind as we've been talking about that. Um, yeah, of course. So in terms of how will the inspector choose the areas or the subjects sure. they want to deep dive into? Um, so um, I think the first thing to say is that the selection of the deep dives will be um, something that's discussed prior to the inspection between inspectors and leaders. So inspectors will come in saying, actually, I'd quite like to, to pick up on these areas. I'd imagine most leaders would say I'd quite like you to look at these areas. And, and, and they might say either because we're facing real challenges here and we, you know, we want to show you what we're doing, or they might say we think we're doing really well here. All of that is valuable for picking up you know, what's going on in the school. So actually, usually the set of deep dives is, is agreed between the inspector and the leaders. And the point of that pre-inspection call is the exit point of that really is everybody's really clear at what inspectors are going to look at when they come in on day one. And then there's no confusion and there are no, no surprises in that way. Um, now, there isn't that much good off-site information, particularly in primary, about teaching in different subjects. So it's not as if there's a vast store of, of 
data out there that, that, that inspectors can draw on when choosing those deep dives. Of course, in secondary, there's some information about you know, GCSE take up and whatever, but inspectors will pick out areas that they, they think they can see either from the last inspection, from inspection planning that might be areas, areas of interest. And they'll deliberately want to get a wide range of subjects. Um, so in secondary, um, you know, wanting to look at subjects that stretch across the curriculum, not just maybe some of the more, more EBAC subjects. In primary, inspectors will always look at reading. So that's the one place where there is a kind of single compulsory um, deep dive. And that's because if you can't read, you can't access the curriculum. But they'll want to choose a range of things beyond that. And certainly what we're seeing for the, you know, the number and range of deep dives that are coming back, inspectors in both primary and secondary are ranging across the curriculum and looking at lots of different areas. And we've mentioned subjects quite a lot there. Um, yeah. Is it only specific subjects? So, for example, could there be a deep dive into, say, early years provision as opposed to, or, or is it purely subject-led and linked to that, I suppose? I just think about those primary schools who may say, we don't really take a subject uh, approach. We take more of a topic-integrated yeah, approach. Course, How would it course. work in those schools? Sorry, I know two questions in one. Then. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. Um, so your first question was, is it only subjects? Yeah. And how, do, how would we tackle EY? Um, so there is um, an early years judgment in, in all Section 5, all full inspections. Um, and so we would look at the early years specifically in the light of that judgment and those criteria. Now, that's not a deep dive as such. That's, the, you know, we haven't talked about the whole other part of inspection where we look at behaviour and other things, you know, where, where we would follow our, our kind of more recognised and normal techniques. And by recognised, I mean historic. Um, so we would look at EY in that way. But actually, you know, if we're in a primary and we're looking at reading, um, well, that starts in reception, doesn't it? So, and, 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 and you know, kind of maybe before it. So, so we draw that into the, the, the look at reading. We wouldn't stop at the kind of brink of year one and, and not look beyond that. We draw that into um, the deep dives. Um, so we'd look at EY in, in a way that we've perhaps done more historically. We'd make sure we pick that up um, for, our, for our judgment under section five. And when we're looking at subjects, particularly in primary, we'd be stretching down and thinking about how we how we incorporate the whole school in that, not just kind of stopping at that artificial boundary. Um, your second question was... Um, that was around schools who take maybe a sort of topic-based approach. Yes. So I suppose yes. often I think of, when you read it, it feels quite a subject-led yes. uh, approach. And I think yes. there are certain primary schools who say, well, we don't really work like that. Whilst yeah. we cover the subjects, we do it much more in an integrated way. So yeah. if you like, you know, would the deep dives look different in those schools, I suppose, is the question. Yeah, yeah. so, 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 so um, I think it's true to say that most primaries follow a topic-based approach mm -hmm. to the curriculum. And... Ofsted has no problem with that. It's not for Ofsted to say how to organise your curriculum. In fact, the whole point of this framework is to say, you think about the right way to organise your curriculum and then tell us that story and we'll see how it plays out. Now, I've seen the early inspection reports that are rolling in and plenty of primaries that take a, a topic-based approach are being judged favourably and some of them really favourably. So the issue is this. It's not do you teach in topics or subjects. It's when you teach a topic and you think you're covering particular subject content, are you really covering that subject content? Because you covered the Romans, does that mean you've actually covered history content? Um, and again, you've got a benchmark there in the national curriculum of the sorts of things that you need to cover. Um, so so it's, it's not about the way you organise your curriculum. It's about thinking, when I am teaching this, am I covering the things that I think I'm setting out to cover? Um, and the other thing I'd say is making sure that you cover the full range of what is in the national curriculum, because I think we see 
too many primaries, especially heading towards year six, who, who feel the pressure to narrow the curriculum and not teach the wide breadth of what's meant to be an offer for children. And that really is a concern. And that affects you however you've organised the curriculum in primary, be it by topics or subjects. So it's about making sure you cover that, that kind of broad entitlement that is the national curriculum. And it's when you're teaching a topic or indeed you're teaching a subject, have you really thought whether you're teaching that content or does it just look like you're doing it? So is it fair to say, from what you're saying, that, that, that so inspectors probably will be looking through the lens of a subject when they're doing the deep dives. They mm. might say, I want to look particularly at geography, yeah. but they're happy to look at it through the top. You know, they, there's no criticism if you're yes. doing it this way, that way, how do you right. choose to do yeah. it? But I'm looking at the, that specific subject yeah. when we're looking at that. Is that yeah, yeah, that's completely right. And look, just to reassure you, a very large number of our inspectors have primary background um, and they taught in topic-based curriculums when, 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 they, when they led schools and they understand that. And we've done something, um, we've done hundreds of pilots, many of which have been in primary schools that teach in that way. So there's nothing to fear about having a topic-based curriculum and an officer inspecting. But it's still the same curricular questions. Do you know what you want children to learn? I will pick up one final thing. Yes, actually, course, you yeah. mentioned, which was uh, a really, really timing actually around the kind of issue of small schools and what have you. I had, yes. a, funny enough, on the train on the way up, uh, a member of ours got in touch with me and said, "Expecting Ofsted this term, I'm worried about the deep dives because there's only four of us or five of us in our school, so we each cover three or four subjects. Yep. We're a very small school, and I'm slightly worried that that you know." judging one of my subject leaders who might be in their second year of teaching, who's managing three different subjects, and comparing that to, say, a large secondary where you've got a head of the department who's vastly experienced yes. in that subject. They're very different yeah, entities. Absolutely. And, uh, I think you absolutely. kind of alluded to Ofsted yeah, being yeah, aware of that, yeah, but yeah. perhaps you could just kind of reassure people that... Yes, yeah. yes. So, so we will not judge you against the large secondary, I promise <laughs> you that. Um, but we will judge you against the criteria in the handbook. Um, and the issue there is not the way that you organise yourselves. It's about making sure that children have access to the entitlement that is the curriculum. And again, either if you're a maintained uh, primary, that that's what you should be offering. If you're an academy, offer something of equal or greater breadth or ambition. Um, there is a specific logistical challenge for everybody in the smallest primary schools. And we want to be open about acknowledging that because actually, yes, you may be this, this, the curriculum you do for three or four different areas. And, and, and having... Uh, one or two inspectors turn up in a very small school is, is a very large footprint and, and, and we get that. So inspectors are thinking really hard about managing some of those conversations and, and doing some things together. So if you're the subject leader for three or four subjects, we're not going to take you out three or four separate times in the day and, and kind of jeopardise your teaching. Actually, we'll try and cover those things together in one conversation. Um, and a significant chunk of the pilots that we did where in the smaller schools to make sure that we can get that right. So um, we're doing everything in our power to make sure that that, that conversation, that experience it, it is a reasonable one. But the bottom line is whatever size of school we are, we have to offer a really good curriculum to our children. And so inspectors have to get under the skin of that. For regular and useful content on the teaching profession, it has to be the School Leadership Podcast. Leadership podcast. And that's part one of a two-parter with Matthew. Hopefully that conversation has provided some clarity around terms like cultural capital and deep dives and given NHT members a better sense of what they can expect from this new Ofsted framework. In the next episode of the podcast, we'll have part two of that Ofsted interview where James and Matthew discuss the role of subject leaders, the 90-minute pre-inspection phone call, and the rationale for extending the length of shorter inspections.
There are, of course, a couple of ways to make sure you receive that and every episode from NAHT and NAHT Edge. We're available via Spotify for Android devices. And if you use iOS, there is, of course, Apple Podcasts. One thing we'd ask you to do is just to take five minutes to leave us a quick review. NAHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. NAHT Edge is the part of our association aimed specifically at aspirational middle leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NAHT Edge or NAHT member, go online to nahtedge.org.uk forward slash join or www.naht.org.uk forward slash join. Our Twitter handles are at NAHT Edge and at NAHT News.